Hi, I'm Jennifer Glover. I'm Ingrid Kohler. And welcome to LGIU Fortnightly. Hi, Jen, it's you and me again. Yeah, here we are. Here we are together apart, you know. Yeah, I mean, the, topically, this episode is called Work and Play. So, you know, we're combining the two. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's always good to catch up with you, Jen. Um, but, um, today we're going to hear from a friend of mine, Sharon O'Day, about the future of work. And we're going to be thinking about the future of play, too. I spoke with Councillor Robert Francis Davis of Swansea. Um, but there's been a lot in the news of late about these very things. On the work side, for sure. <laughs> Poor A-level students and the fiasco with their results in oh. England and before that in Scotland. I feel for them, man. Yeah, I mean, it was absolutely awful, the roller coaster of emotions they must have gone through. And, uh, you know, <laughs> lessons could well have been learned, but I'm sure the history books will reflect on that. Yeah, the um, final grades came out in Scotland like a week or two weeks before. Yeah, and so the same issues arose when the English results came out, but that didn't seem to have occurred to anyone. <laughs> no. Not um, so there's a lot to uh, unpack there. We, we've done a bit of a back-to-school kind of focus in the last week or so. Um, Scottish schools have gone back. England, the schools are going back in a week or so aren't they so there's there's a lot to do with health there's a lot to do with education and we heard from the american point of view on this so one of your one of your friends in the yeah US it's all my friends a teacher yeah. <laughs> uh, talking about the context that they're working in i mean i shouldn't say this really but i'm gonna say it anyway i was pleasantly surprised by how well it seems to be being handled in the county where I grew up. So there's a lot of local control over uh, school districts. Um, so to be at a kind of county level. And it sounds like Lawrence County has it as under control as it could be when they're in a state, Tennessee, where the governor is not taking COVID as seriously as he might. Um, but they're handling it quite well. But she just has some horror stories from the next county over where student, parent, teacher, school worker, health and safety isn't really being taken into account as fully as it might be. So that's worth a look. It's good to hear that at least in my hometown, um, it's not a complete disaster. Yeah. <laughs> You've got to take the wins where you can. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's up on the website. Speaking of uh, taking the wins where you can, council finance. Yeah, I mean, this is something that everyone's been grappling with. The economic shock is wider than just local government, but obviously there's a very specific set of challenges facing councils at the moment, not least the loss of income from the things they rely on, you know, business rates, parking fees and charges, all those kind of leisure centre services they run which have just completely dropped off a cliff and it's not clear how how and if those are going to be covered going forward. Yeah, it's a debacle. <laughs> and as we've said many times on this podcast before, it needs fixing, but the, the urgency is only growing, but it doesn't bode particularly well. The lack of consultation that went into the exams fiasco 
it doesn't it doesn't perhaps elicit much confidence in how the council funding situation is going to be solved but we shall see but hey at least we've got a clear picture of public health that's all under control right <laughs> yes <laughs> public health england has been uh, abolished i mean maybe you've lost faith in the leadership maybe maybe that's the thing do you have to abolish the whole agency to you know make some key replacements ah, i don't know but the stationary cost alone will be you know not inconsequential yeah very true the rebrand yeah all those yeah. old public health england uh pens and notepads yeah there'll be a vintage collector's item soon enough check your local ebay listing <laughs> And on the, well, I guess it's sort of play, but not quite in the same way this year is our councillor awards. Uh, unfortunately, we won't be seeing all of your lovely faces at the event itself in November because we're holding it virtually, but it will be just as exciting. We've got lots of, lots of good stuff planned for a virtual celebration. Um, we'll be showcasing all the best and brightest of local government but that requires nominations. We need you to put forward all the best councillors that you know. Put forward a nomination for them through our website. There's loads of awards that you can choose to nominate them to, including for this year, the COVID-19 Heroes Award and the Collaborative Working Award to kind of celebrate the best of teamwork. Excited about that one. Yeah, Actually. me too. If you haven't already, make sure that you get your nominations in. And don't worry about the online thing because we, apparently we've got big plans. And I was, I've been watching the Democratic National Convention online, or bits of it anyway. And I've been, you know, it was pretty amazing uh, what can be done to make an event, like really feel like an event. And we'll be working as hard as we can to do that for you. And it's an easy form to fill out. It won't take yeah. you long. Yeah. So... Um, and of course, if you want to keep on top of all the news that impacts local government, as we've just run through a few of the key stories from the last couple of weeks, um, if you want to know about it on the day it happens, rather than waiting for this podcast every two weeks, uh, make sure that you're signed up to LGIU's daily news, if you are an LGIU member, of course. And if you're not, then find out how your council can become a member. Yeah, if not, why not? Exactly. Um, let's talk about play a little bit. It's the summer holidays. The traditional time for the jolly away. Did you manage to get away, Jen? I had a few nights camping an hour away, whereas my sister went to Croatia, so I'm feeling slightly hard done by. <laughs> did she get back in time? So yeah, like, she did. She oh no, was very, very jammy. I know. <laughs> But I'm not bitter about it. No. Wiltshire is just the same. <laughs> Much better. Um, I got away a little bit, sort of. Yeah, you had a nice trip to Wales. I went to Wales. I did indeed. Um, it wasn't exactly a traditional holiday. And my partner was working, taking pictures of rocks for virtual field trips. <laughs> the future of learning. And uh, I was also taking pictures of rocks all day. Cool. <laughs> There's lots of rocks to see in Wales. There are a lot. I think we took like, I don't know, like 20,000 pictures of rocks. That's maybe too many pictures of rocks. <laughs> Those poor like, students, they won't know what hit them. Well, he turns them into like 
he turns them into 3D models that you can kind of like right. walk around okay. and, and do that. So, so it's a lot of, uh, you know, like you, you might take like a right. hundred pictures of like the same thing, but then it turns right. it into like this fancy um, model that you can like interact with, like yeah. the world's most boring video game. <laughs> that's quite cool. Yeah, no, it looks, it looks really good, but that's, that's basically what we did on our holiday. But I was outside every day. It's, beautiful countryside amazing amazing landscapes and you know it was a change as good as a rest that's what they say exactly but, but of course before I went I phoned up the local counselor who had responsibility for tourism in the area where we were staying what just to check that you were allowed to come and get get it from the horse's mouth <laughs> for the vodka. do I have your blessing Can I yeah. come here? where should I eat and um I mean, yeah, that's what you do, isn't yeah. it? Doesn't everybody yeah. call the council before they? <laughs> um, but it was, uh, but I had a chat with uh, Councillor Robert Francis Davis um, from the city and county of Swansea, um, and it's, but it's really important there because, I mean, all of the UK tourism plays a great contributing part of the local economy. Uh, local economies everywhere um but in certain parts of wales are particularly reliant on on tourism and you know it's taken a hit obviously uh, although it's picked up again as people vacation in the uk or try to get a little bit of sunshine a little bit of seaside um but sometimes they're swamping areas um when they do so and it's raising the debate again about like you know should we have tourism tax how should amenities be funded and maybe this isn't going to impact us in the same way next year, but, but maybe it is. And maybe we should be thinking about that. Um, so I've written up a little bit about the future of tourism tax in Wales, because that's what you do on holiday too, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's about right. Yeah. I couldn't help but wonder how they're paying for this car park. Um, <laughs> Uh, but no, but he has some, I mean, the guy is obviously super passionate about the area and about the future of tourism there. So let's have a listen. I'm uh, Councillor Robert Francis Davis. I'm the cabinet member in Swansea for investment, regeneration and tourism. And it's been a, a difficult time, obviously, under COVID-19. We want visitors to come to Swansea. We love visitors coming to Swansea, and in particular, the Gower Peninsula. At the same time, we've encouraged people to stay away, but really try to remind people of how beautiful and how lucky we are to be living in such an area. 86% of the visitors that come to Gower are from outside of Wales and have been here before, um, so they return. But we haven't wanted them to come and travel in Wales because Welsh governments have had different regulations to what England have. But it's good and it's worked. Having said that, I suppose that can actually make more people want to come with staycations <laughs> because people want to be safe. I'm wondering how you message to people that folks are welcome back because we're still in risky times. Very risky times. And I think that most of the general public, not all of the general public, are sensible. And we, as a, a local authority, have worked with the Swansea Bay visitors, the tourism trade. 
worrying times in the hospitality and tourism industry. So we, we are trying to see where we can help. Um, so we're looking this year to extend the season further into the winter. People want staycations, not just in the summer now, but people enjoy walks. Some people enjoy looking at the seascape when it's at its roughest. So, you know, come along, come through the winter, enjoy your stays. We are extending the season right the way through. So we're working with them to ensure that any grants that have been available, um, they know about. Uh, Swansea's councils, the rates department, which are normally collecting in money, are probably being given out money like there's no tomorrow. Um, <laughs> but they stepped up to the mark and they've been very successful in getting that money out to the businesses that need it um, because they are really after the support from us. I think that's really interesting what you're saying about extending the season. Uh, on my last trip to Swansea last summer, um, I know exactly what you're talking about. There's some like there's some really great nighttime venues there that were really fun. And um, that's not the kind of thing that is probably the most sensible sort of activity now. The the packed bars, the live music, that sort of thing. As a local authority, are you putting on different kinds of events? Are you working with hospitality providers to kind of create new draws? What we've been doing, there's one street, spelt wind, that's pronounced as Wine Street. And Wine Street is always exceptionally busy and uh, very lively. But what we're doing, we are investing over £2 million next year in Wine Street, where we are going to get more pavement cafes, getting people sitting outside because COVID has changed. But we were planning this before we knew about COVID-19 working with the local businesses, the local trades. And um, we want to have little stands as well where we can have live music. We got a very good live music uh, scene in Swansea. Um, in fact, I was only on a, on a meeting two weeks ago with our Twin Cities, Mannheim in Germany. They'd read about what we've been doing in Swansea with COVID-19. Swansea was a pilot city in the UCLG on culture. So when our museum closed and when the art gallery closed and our theatre closed, how do we keep in touch with our residents in Swansea? So we used digital technology, we had virtual galleries, we managed to get our paintings put online, we had um, quizzes for the children, we had packs going out to children who were home to help the parents who were being driven up the wall by uh, <laughs> trying to teach their children. And one beacon of hope, I think, for the city, because from the beginning of March, people went into lockdown. But we are building a new arena in Swansea. It's going to be a three and a half thousand seater arena. And we are the developer of the council, but we carried on building right the way through. And to see this, it was like a, a phoenix from the ashes, to see this arena going up. And with a new city park on the on the top of the roof of the uh, car park. Oh wow! Uh, but not only that, we're also working with a company from New Zealand called Skyline, and they're going to put a cable car up to the top of Kilvey Hill. There'll be a destination visitor centre at the top. Two luge runs coming down Kilvey Hill, leading to an area of Swansea which was Copperopolis, where 80% of the world's copper was previously smelted, and um, what was the old copper works 
uh, great two listed buildings. We have two in up those buildings. Pendering whiskey, which a lot of people might have heard of. They say it's the best whiskey in Britain. And I'm sure our friends in Scotland will say different, but it is an award-winning Welsh whiskey. And they are building a visitor centre. So we've got lots of heritage. We've got lots of scenery, but we want lots to do. So these two loose runs will be coming down. We still have ambitions for a tidal lagoon in Swansea Bay. So um, we want to see a zip line coming from the top of this hill, the skyline, down into our tidal lagoon when it's built. I got to be honest, you're not going to get me on that thing. There's no <laughs> way I would do that. But I do know, um, I do know some boys who would love to do something like that, but not me. <laughs> no, it sounds like you've got so many plans and um, things coming along, but you've also got a lot of like really safe activities, you know, for now, for when we still can't really get together just because you just have that kind of amazing scenery and you're setting up for more visitors to come in, in the in the future. It sounds really fantastic. And thank you so much for your time. Oh, you're welcome. But as we are nearing the end of the summer, Aww. I'm sad to say, <laughs> um, we're starting to think about work. And while in England, we think we understand that school will look pretty normal. We'll see. Yeah, work and councils really isn't going back to normal. Nope. So the numbers of council staff working from home has completely rocketed from 5% pre-lockdown to 80%, according to some new research, which is a huge shift and has, you know, been a very quick shift to changing working habits and not being straightforward. You know, a lot of things are done through confidential filing systems and stuff. How do you, how do you make that transition? I mean, I've been thinking about this for a long time and so many people in local government and you know who you are, although I assume you're probably not listening to this podcast, but you'll know someone like this who's like, you know, they said it can't be done. It can't be done. It can't be done. And then when it had to be done, local government did it. So people did manage to go remotely and yeah, there wasn't always the kind of ideal training scenarios or the ideal kit scenarios, but people made it work. And in some cases, feel like they've made it work even better, according to this research from the Society for Innovation Technology and Modernization, uh, Sokhtum, who talked to like 2,500 people in councils around the world about what this is going to be looking like. And thinking that it's not going to, we're not going to be headed back to the office anytime soon, at least not in the numbers that we were before. And I think a lot of councils are taking this opportunity to reflect on what is working really well from remote working and what's, you know, what has to be done. Yeah. I mean, there's a, there's a huge learning curve and a journey to go on here, but it's, it's good that we seem to have made it work for now. And there's a kind of refreshed open-mindedness about whether or not remote working and flexible working and that kind of that setup can actually work in local government. So that's positive. So you had a chat with your friend Sharon O'Day about the future of work in councils. Yeah. And so full disclosure, um, this is a late at night interview and um, I did have a glass or two of wine. Sorry, <laughs> the interview. <laughs> Before, maybe. Um, so it's a little bit, you know, it's relaxed. 
it's a relaxed approach. Um, and she is a friend, but she's also a digital comms and strategy consultant, um, and she cut her teeth in local government. So, you know, she has that local government background. She knows what she's talking about. She's a really good thinker. Um, and so, yeah, we just had a chat about what the future of work is going to be looking like. Let's have a listen. Hi, I'm with my friend, Sharon. Sharon, what do you do? I am a communications consultant, I suppose, and I work particularly looking at digital workplace, digital experience, um, and digital employee experience. Sharon, you are the queen of the intranet, I would say. You have been thinking about the issues of digital working, not just like digitizing some stuff here and there, but like what it's really like to work in a digital environment, um, to use tools of collaboration in new ways for a really long time. So I thought we could just um, talk about what you think the impact of the pandemic has been on how people work, which I think we can all see, but how they're going to be working as we transition into this new kind of normal. So although this has been predicted for a long time, particularly, you know, I was in local government around the time of swine flu, you know, and was that the big one? I had Um, that, yeah. Yeah, I remember that. I was uh, working at Sutton Council at the time. But, you know, actually, although this has been on everyone's risk register, I guess, for well over a decade, when it came, it it was still a surprise for everyone. And it turned into, amongst other things, of course, you know, a great homeworking pilot that overnight people took their laptops home and then spent, you know, what, a month, six weeks, just working out how the the hell do we get this stuff done now? and for the most part, it went okay. I mean, actually, we're lucky that this happened in the time that it did, if it, if it had to, because the tools that we have to do this kind of work are better than they've ever been. That a decade or so ago, you went to work because, you know, that's where your good computer was. You know, actually, yeah. you needed the equipment <laughs> to get back done. Actually, these days, and probably for the last 10 years or so, we've all got better kit at home than, than we have in the office. I've probably got a faster broadband connection. Um, and it's a quieter environment in many ways. And obviously, that's not true for everyone. But home is a much more conducive environment in lots of cases. You don't need to go to work to get your job done. And, and the tools are, are there to help you. I think what was challenging in over the last however many weeks is actually it's not it's not just about the tools is it it's it's how you use them yeah how do we connect with one another um so what i thought i thought was really interesting is how that matured really really quickly so do you remember the first what three weeks or so it was all about zoom we were constant zoom calls and actually that seems to have petered off i'd love to know if there's any data out there i know there is some data to support the inverse of that which is actually the growth of messaging so um people have started to send many more um you know uh, text messages whatsapp messages but um uh, guild who do sort of uh, workplace messaging they found a, a huge growth that started off in about week three and has been working upwards as people have started to go right okay we've connected with one another now that i kind of we've built this new kind of trust that we're working on now, we can communicate in different ways. So um, we've seen that maturity start to, to emerge, but we're, we're nowhere near the end of this. Actually, as we get to this, whatever we're calling this now, I know the government are urging people to go back to work, yeah. but 
Oh, do people want to? Or they're like, I've tried this and it, it's all right, isn't it? I don't, I don't want to go back. I don't think at LGIU, for example, I don't think we, you know, like we don't have any plans to go back to the office. And sure, I do understand the impact on the sandwich shop and whether kind of incidentals I might be purchasing uh, at work. But the flip side of that is, you know, there are people who have to use public transport to get to work, who have to be physically present at their work. I do not. I don't particularly want to go uh, on the underground right now. Um, and I'd rather it be a less crowded experience for those who must go to work, must physically yeah. be present at work. So, you know, there was a study out recently, I think three and four people said, well, I'd like to continue working either wholly or partly from home. So, you know, all sorts of organisations, and I know local government is very much doing the same thing and looking at, you know, actually, where do we go from here? How do we turn this into something we were just coping with into something that is going to help us weather the inevitable storm that's coming financially, socially? Actually, how does embracing this new flexible remote working help us to be more responsive to to the needs of our communities but also you know deal with potentially tighter financial circumstances given that things have already been cut to the bone definitely tighter um we did an appg via zoom so we are the provide the secretariat for the local government appg and you know we had council leaders on just talking about just eye-watering deficits there was um one council who basically had a deficit that was basically like 70% of their normal planned budget, just because no income and loads of extra expenditure. And I was reading about another council recently, which is, I'm trying to remember the detail now, but it was, it was almost a pile on of all the stories of the last, last 10 years, but they'd invested in a WeWork building Oh, it's a Surrey yeah. County Council, which now is they're, they're renegotiating on the rent. So actually, that that investment that's meant to shore up public finances is of course impacted by the the wider economic environment. Anyway, the the result of that is councils will have inevitable belt tighten even more than they already have. And I think we all know that there isn't much belt left to tighten there. No, almost. So. I think we mustn't focus just on remote working as a way of, of cutting costs because it can be, but it also requires investment up front in tools, but also in culture and change in particular. But on the flip side of that, it creates some huge opportunities. So if we have fewer people, for example, working um, in the main council offices, what can that space be used for? So to, let, let's pick if you if you um, ran a large council office in say a commuter town outside London, are there people who don't have a, a safe home environment or a conducive home environment to work in who would actually value a, a more local working hub that is neither their home nor schlepping into Canary Wharf, for instance? So it'd be really interesting to see how, how local government can respond to these really changing community needs and changing needs of, of the way that we're working. If you're not able to work from home and, you know, either because you don't have the space or you've got children at home or you just hate the silence, whatever it might be. Councils have a really key role to play in saying, actually, if people aren't commuting into London and they're not spending money on Pratt, how can we encourage them to participate more close to home? And that could be by having more local co-working spaces. Is it that they go to their local sandwich shop and rejuvenate their local high street as opposed to one in a city centre? Local government has a huge role to play in 
in framing that debate and responding to it and say what does this mean for for us as a as a local community and a place where people live so there's some really interesting models that we can follow one um is they're called Grow Remote and it's an Irish community organisation and they're um, because a lot of people in the west of Ireland for instance are remote workers for say let's say multinational technology companies or they run SMEs on their own at home which can be quite an isolating experience but people have moved out to those remote villages and what they're trying to to do is encourage those to build networks amongst themselves either to share opportunities or just to share that sense of, of relatedness I suppose that uh, so that people who are working disparately or remotely or flexibly are able to still feel that connection to to place. Yeah no I think there is big opportunity for that because yeah we're not we're not finished with this yet we're absolutely and... nowhere near finished with this I think we're very much at the start of the conversation where you know we've, we've gone beyond that immediate crisis mode and I think we're just about at the point where we're starting to look at actually what does this mean long term and I we're increasingly come to the conclusion that you know people don't want to go back to how it was although I think they were parts of how it was they might want to go back to how it was for other parts of their lives but actually I think workers the genie's out of the bottle now um it's not clear what this means for the future of the city center yeah will more people want to move out to the, the sticks or conversely will people think okay I'm going to move further in to avoid commutes or to be closer to friends or family or whatever that might be um we're in for a period of change i think a big period of change and yeah yeah and maybe there's like there'll be more residential space available in city centers as the office may so again there's some really interesting so every week more and more companies start to announce that they are intending to make this either a, a long-term move or even a permanent move but they're being quite nuanced about it. It's not simply we're going to stay at home, but actually we recognise that people will still need to come in for some things, but maybe not that frequently. But also we need to help people to connect closer to home. So Fujitsu announced a global policy, I think today or yesterday, to lose a lot of its global offices, have people work remotely, but again, to local, open more local spaces and have much more of a hybrid approach. Um, Barclays is another very interesting one. They're talking about how they can use their branch network. Um, so, you know, none of us go to bank branches anymore. It's an increasingly niche activity for, for people who either lack digital confidence, whatever it might be. So while they are closing more and more branches, and that can be problematic for communities, they can create those as, as local co-work hubs so that, you know, on those occasions you have to come into the office to dock your laptop or or whatever it might be, connect to some sort of video conferencing solution. You can do that on a local high street rather than going all the way into London, for example. So how, if you were, if you were a company or you were a council, how would you tackle this issue of knowing what can be done at home, what can be done in the office? I'm thinking particularly about some early career people who may be living in shared accommodation, but also just don't, just aren't around for the kind of office culture or the kind mm -hmm. of casual mentoring, just, you know, an older person, often that jaded uh, older person in the office who's like seen it all and uh, will tell you how it really is. So it has to begin with, we have to plan this strategically and we need to begin with a, a, um, an understanding of user needs from, if we put it in digital terms. This does affect people at different stages of their life and career in different ways, but also it affects different personality types or people with different needs in different ways as well 
Um, so we need people who are looking at doing this need to really have a full understanding of what are the challenges and the specific ones relating to particular groups, particular roles, people at, at different points in their careers. But also I think we have to recognise that this is not about simply drifting into how, how these things are done based on where you currently are. But it does need some, some proper planning and thought and some change management around it. So actually when you are looking at, um, for instance, that, that um, intergenerational workforce where we have people who are ex highly experienced, as you said, you know, so much of what we, we learn and we do at work, we, we capture it through kind of tacit learning. You overhear what that jaded guy does and you know you copy things that he does or says and you, there are also things that you make sure you never do in your life because you see the reaction but actually so much of of that is that informal learning which is difficult when we all have to suddenly start working remotely and but that requires not just a a change in in the tools but actually thinking about how do we encourage people to to work out loud to share much more of what we're doing the problem we have is you know, in the early stages of lockdown, we were all on Zoom, so we could constantly chat all day and it was exhausting. But actually now we've shifted to being much more explicit in our communication, but we also need to think about the implicit as well. How do we recreate some of those interactions? How do we help people who are in earlier stages of their career to do that kind of listening and observing? And it does rely on people who are maybe more mature or more experienced to be much more open about what they're doing um, and to recreate some of those interactions. So there's a mix there of getting the right, the right tools in place, but also really thinking about how we change behaviours. Again, that's got some, some potential positives for the, for the organisation because it commits a lot more of what we do to organisational memory in ways that make it searchable, potentially reusable. Um, the other area which I think is really interesting to explore is when we work in more asynchronous and more digital ways, we actually could potentially become much more inclusive. So the traditional meeting that we all spend too much of our lives in actually starts to privilege some voices over others those those who are a bit more forward a bit louder um often they you know are from more traditional backgrounds male white and so on tend to dominate the room actually when we share and we communicate and collaborate in more uh, in slower and more deliberate ways actually we can make that conversation that collaboration much more inclusive for groups that are traditionally excluded from that so women uh, or people from other underrepresented backgrounds so it has potential to improve the quality of collaboration as well. Yeah, I think there's plenty of opportunity there. In fact, my work experience during the pandemic is that actually, you know, we, we were fairly sparing on the Google Meet is what we tend yes. to use. Um, and we've actually built some more back in. We're working on some really thoughtful pieces where we've got thought leadership. And I was actually really missing the kind of like what seems like useless banter, but is actually about sharing ideas, testing ideas, sparking creativity. And I built in some just like sessions where they're just half an hour, but it's just like, no, there's no agenda actually. We're just gonna have a chat about these kind of things, but we're just gonna be like, hey, what, you know, did you see this? Did you see that? Um, yeah, people are starting to, well, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm mostly getting one okay at home, but I really miss the, as you say, the sort of serendipity of the chats you have over the coffee machine or someone you might bump into in a corridor. But the reality is, in the short term at least, that's not going to happen. So none of that squares with social distancing. I went back to an office for the first time in months uh, a couple of weeks ago and it was really weird. Um, and they've done their best to make it 
you know, soft and friendly. So they've done things like printed um, cushions that say, don't sit here rather than just have tape over everything. But it, there were really simple things like breakout tables for four or suddenly breakout tables for one. And when you only have a breakout table for one, it's no longer a meeting, it's just a table. Um, so actually we, a lot of that will become really challenging. That those of us who like maybe like to go to the office for um, that kind of connection, you know, extroverts really struggle at home without that energy that you can feed off. We're creating these feelings of isolation, of atomization, um, that connection as well that people feel is missing. So, but the reality is, in the short term or immediate term that's not possible where we've got one-way systems or tables blocked off or canteens closed or you know offices that i've seen they'll have you know no lingering by the coffee machine um you know strictly get your own coffee and leave without breathing on it so we are going to have to find other ways to make those connections um and that means that we all have to get better at collaborating and there is an assumption um, that people know how to collaborate and that's not necessarily true it's a skill that you it wasn't to, true before uh, <laughs> it wasn't true before. Now, interestingly spotify did um they, they moved to you know having no hierarchy and all of that a few years ago um so that people could form tribes and they dropped the whole thing because and in their summary that collaboration was an assumed competence uh, but one that wasn't widespread that actually people need to learn um, how to use tools to get things done but they also need to learn actually what are the processes what are our, our own behaviors what do we do as an organization and that's going to be different for every organization I think they're going to have to strategically look at what is appropriate for us what suits our style our outcomes our objectives our ways of working our speed um in order to to be able to do that at distance in the, in the medium to long term where would you start building that plan i mean you know with a staff survey or i would treat program? it almost like um you know almost with you you do a discovery so you know what are our user needs what is it that people our employees want there's obviously a clear question there which is what is that what do our residents in in the case of, of local government more customers um, need and uh, what are you know and how can that impact them but also the broader business needs so get take some views from stakeholders on how is this working what are the potential legal regulatory challenges you know there are some massive questions there around how do we how do we manage performance and supervision um that at the moment we're, we're operating on kind of an assumed trust but um at what point will taxpayers say are people really working are, you know actually how do we ensure that we get that that balance right and that um, we maintain public trust in um or customer trust depending on the type of organization um that that the organization is still being run effectively oh i've so, certainly read about people like uh installing software on company laptops that take your picture like every you know at some random interval um yeah it's called productivity monitoring software um and i hate everything about it but there there may be some trade-offs there that say to what degree are people willing to trade privacy for flexibility so um a company i worked with they were a supplier on a project that i, I worked with and um, got bought out by a, a private equity firm moved all of their staff to home working and then installed productivity monitoring software on their computers that 
logged your keystrokes, it took a random screen grab, uh, you know, at particular times. And if there was anything non-work related, you just didn't get paid for that time. Um, and it also took screenshots to check you were there or not on your phone or anything. Um, and everyone left. Yeah. By within a year, I think they had less than 10% of their staff left because people don't want to operate under those sort of conditions and it, it implies a huge lack of trust. Um, the flip side of that is, uh, to what extent will the public um, be comfortable with, particularly people who are uh, working for public sector organisations, working without some degree of monitoring? So uh, those questions are still very much to be answered and it will be one that each organisation needs to work through in turn. So what is the right balance? One of the functions of management is supervision, you know, to check that you're on, you're doing what you need to do, but also that I can help you if there are any problems. How, so there is something there around ensuring people are comfortable managing at distance and how do we track productivity and performance which is notoriously hard to measure even at the best of times yeah absolutely. Um, so there's loads of really so actually at the moment we've, we've almost done the easy bits we haven't got to the thorny ones yet um, of how we, we do things like this and is it through it's probably it there has to be a balance there between harder measures and ensuring that there are those kind of softer skills in in how people manage because management is, is is much more about ensuring there is, is trust between all parties yeah um or endless zoom calls you could do it that way and get nothing or endless done. Zoom calls. <laughs> so um part of this is ensuring that we have the right mix of channels when you're working at home the digital channels that your employer employer provides become even more important like they are critical for getting things done but they're also your primary connection with your employer brand and if that experience is a, a bad one it impacts not only your productivity but your engagement in a really major way and the reality is every organization i've ever worked for they might have a really shiny public facing website but the things that they give employees are not not anywhere like that they can often be you know software stays in in use for years after its its intended life cycle. Intranets are always terrible. Um, but also there is the number of systems that any employee will have to, to touch will often be measuring the, the tens or more, even to get a simple task done. So actually the context shifting is um, it has a huge cognitive load and there can be potential fall offs there in productivity. So there is a real need there to um, understand the end-to-end -end digital employee experience actually what does that look like for a typical employee and i would advise actually companies to actually take a look at that you know for an average employee in some really key roles what do they actually look at day to day and are there ways that we can streamline that um the, the good news is with tools like microsoft teams or workplace or any of those there are some really nice and relatively inexpensive ways to to streamline that now to hide some of the complexity under cleaner interfaces um, which can be done pretty simply but it would be one of those things that would potentially um, pay dividends for organizations in just improving that, that experience for, for an average employee. Reducing the friction of moving from system to system and making sure you're not wasting But also too they much even time. know where to go to for what. Ugh, there is yeah. actually that our working lives have become ever more complicated. And particularly, I mean, there is a need to upskill people on digital in general. Um, but also when that is the primary way that you get things done and you have basically no other options when you're working at home, it is critical that we, we give people digital skills and digital confidence to be able to work effectively, particularly when they don't have that informal support around, you know, where you might go, 
hey Ingrid this isn't working can you can you talk me through it or reboot it just just reboot it and off and on again yeah (laughs) yeah no and, and it is using that kind of messaging for quick chats being able to pull on your team yeah so there's a few layers there which is really like actually where is it we want to go as a vision what does remote working flexible working look like for us and what are the potential impacts on service delivery on employees on our long-term strategy how do we get that and that's kind of capability needs so what skills do we have what channels do we have um and what are the, some of the challenges there with things like excessive complexity um you know and what skills and roles are there you know if we're no longer supporting the same physical estate do we need additional support roles to help people around that that digital estate or with different ways of working and then there's a huge change piece there which is around you know how do we get people from a to b and what does that time frame look like because what we have today is not where what is not going to be the end state for our ways of working moving forward it's like we need a custodian who you know may have previously looked after your physical estate but now you need a you know, custodians to help guide people around the digital work. You know, what's that, your work, chief workplace officer or, you know, it's actually, what is that? Or actually, there is an argument there for having someone or potentially a group or a board who have a, a more holistic vision of what the employee experience looks like. And that would be that mixture of both digital and physical touch points and, um, and so on. Um, and it, it may be a really good place to start to, to say, okay, who are the key people in the room, HR, legal, operations, whatever they might be, to understand, you know, how do they, where, where do they join? Where are the, the drop-offs? And how can we make that a more productive and more enjoyable experience? Yeah, because we might as well, because we are gonna be at home for a while. And even if we're not at home for the pandemic, councils are looking to downsize their physical estates reduce office space um lots of businesses are so we might as well get it get it right it has a real opportunity to make you know councils in particular could become kind of employers of choice by providing that flexibility providing it closer to home being kind of best in class employees in that way by embracing that the you know flexible ways of working that are increasingly what people are demanding from their jobs well thank you sharon that was really helpful thanks Yeah, so that was fun. <laughs> so we'll be keeping an eye on this in the coming months. Um, we're already looking at things like the future of libraries, children's services and indoor markets. And you can find briefings and think pieces on all of those types of things at lgiu.org. We'll also be looking at what it's like working in councils and with communities in our post-COVID councils work. And you can get involved. So just, again, go on to that lgiu.org website. And you can look for the post-COVID work. It's really obvious from the front page. And you can sign up for any of the topics that interest you. So our next topic is gonna be places and communities. Um, And it would be really good to hear from you about what you're doing, where you work. There's so many ways to get involved. Um, We want to hear your stories. We want to hear what you're doing. So if you've got a blog idea, maybe you want to come on the podcast, we are very open to having a chat with you about that because this is a project where we want as many different experiences to be involved as possible to help us kind of collectively learn and shape the future. So just get in touch. And as ever, thank you for listening. And don't forget to give us a review and a rating on your podcast app. Tell a friend, subscribe, do all those things so you never miss an episode. 
nominated counselor for counselor awards. Oh yes. I'm that. And thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.